I'm Zetra Rosen. You're listening to Or It Didn't Happen. Over the last two episodes, you've heard about two different live fiction nights in Sydney, studio stories and little fictions. This week, we're bringing you the last live night in this season, Read To Me. Unlike the other nights, the real hero of the night is pictures. And we're going to bring you a couple of the stories a little later in the show, but first we're going to be talking to the people who run the night, Gabe Clark and Finn McCabe. About half a year ago, you guys were in Ashfield, and you were actually putting on the very first read to me. And it was really cool. Why was it so cool? Gabe? We had an audience. Did you expect to have a big audience when you put it on? Finn? No, no way. <laughs> we really thought it was just going to be this, this kind of weird fringe thing that, I don't know, would take a lot of explaining to get people there. And then we put on the event, and instead of having just the people reading and a couple of family members... It ended up being, I don't know, like 100, 120 people. I, I counted 110 people in the audience. Really, we expected about eight people and a couple of family members. <laughs> and, and it ended up being, yeah, a much, much larger audience. And just to be clear, like these were comics, other graphic stories put up on screen. The graphics are what people were following and they're reading out their own work and following the pictures as they go. Yeah, it was part of the Asheville Comic Conversation which had a zine fair event and popular culture panels and stuff like that going alongside. But we just had a room of storytelling and the creators in the actual event actually telling the stories and showing their pictures. And that, to me, was just magic. There was silence in the audience. There was 120 people. Everyone focused on the screen, everyone laughing and engaged with the storytelling. And it was just heaven. We don't always want to engage with just pure comics. We engage with visual graphic artists and storytellers, so illustrators, writers responding to photos, but the leading thing is the image on the screen. And so comics lends itself really well to it. It's kind of a nice introduction to comics for people too. That comic conversation, obviously a lot of people have read comics that are coming to that. But the live readings are a really interesting way to be introduced, not only to comics if you're not a comics reader, but different kinds of comics. So for that night in particular, we had quite a range. We had some journalistic works. We had some yeah. works that were social commentary. We had biographical storytelling around satirical stuff on gentrification. And then we had kind of historical fiction as well. Yeah, there, yeah, there was a true crime piece. Yeah. I've got a chip on my shoulder about arts journalists and arts <laughs> programmers in festivals not understanding the stories that exist in the medium of comics. They kind of really stick to the form and not to the genres that exist within the medium. It's about going, hey, here's a story about food. Here's some journalism. Here's some historical fiction. Here's interpretations of interviews through um, visual storytelling. There's all these different ways that you can explore. People think of comics very often as like being a particular kind of genre, but it's as if like you'd only ever read one genre in fiction. And to have in a night be shown that there's so much more than that was kind of cool too. And I think people left feeling like that, like they discovered a gold mine of new stories. Part of the reason that we started it was for the artists themselves to kind of build a community. Yeah. Making comics and writing and making these stories takes so much time and is such a private activity. It's nice to have a place where you can show that work to your peers and have it be like a social community building exercise. Some of the authors that have read with us have published works, but a lot of them self-publish. And so there's not one place that people can go. Even if they were interested, I'm not sure a lot of people would know where to go to get their work. Like I'm in that community and I'm fairly new to it. I still don't know how to get a hold of a lot of the work. So there's this huge barrier for people that don't read comics. Not only is there a barrier in terms of familiarity with the medium, 
But there's also this barrier that a lot of the great storytelling that's happening around us with this group of storytellers, it's just not readily available. And so I think that that's the exciting thing for me is that we get to put that into the public and say, yeah, this is great. This really deserves to be seen. And so far, it seems like people who have seen it have been as excited as we've been about it, which feels pretty good. And that's, for me, a really motivating factor behind Read to Me is that there is this amazing talent in Australia around graphic storytelling, which no one really gets a chance to see. So you guys have actually put on four Read to Me nights so far. Two were at an artist's residency in Indonesia just recently. One was at Asheville Library in Sydney earlier in the year. And another one was in Thirul, which is one of the towns like Austin Mir or Stanwell Park dotted between Sydney and Wollongong. And this was the night I came down to record you guys and failed because I left my memory card at home. And so I've actually got two of the readers to come in and read their stories again. Can you tell me just a little bit about what the night was? The night was part of a zine fair called Zine There Done That run by Molly Lasker, right next to the train station, this nice lawn outside. And we had a sort of DIY screen hooked up. The projector was mounted on top of a microwave. And even to that event, we had 60 people turn up. There were three local authors on the night, Louis, Joyce, Mary, and Pat. And the first of them is... Helen We Could Live Here by Mary Van Rake. Mary lives in Austinmere. She's a local author. She writes young adults fiction. She's got a series of books called the Surf Writers Club, which have just been published. And she has written a zine, which is sort of fictionalized stories around houses in and around the Ostermere area. And she's talking while she shows a picture of, you know, just a house, a different local house each time. She's kind of documented them and then written these great idiosyncratic kind of stories in response to the type of house they are. So in this story, you know, because it's radio, Mary's going to describe each photo as she goes. And this story comes with language warning. So this is a series that I've been writing for some time now. I go and I find houses that when I see them, I feel this interest in them or a curiosity about what life would be like inside them. And I write a little short story imagining me and my friend Helen, if we lived there, like what would our lives be like? And we can be any age, we can be any gender, any scenario. And this particular series I did based on the south coast where I live. So my partner and I drove around looking at houses and, yeah, picking out ones that particularly spoke to me on that day. So this house is a pastel avocado kind of aqua colour, which is quite hideous. But the house itself is big and sprawling and rambling, like the kind of house that I really like. And it has this really cheap wooden panelling on it that's from the 40s or 50s, those really thin strips that are kind of tacked onto the wall to make it look a bit more luxury than it is. Helen, we could live here for many more years. Before us, this house was parched for memories. Its new hallways were dusty and dry. Each wall was a virgin canvas, each room an unimagined space. Now, decades later, it rests heavily on the land, bloated with our past. There's no part that hasn't been marked by tiny movements from our shared life. Here is a dark smudge above the stove where I burnt our dinner to a charred mess and smoke climbed the wall. There is a worn patch, a bedleg has let etched the pattern of your restless sleep into the floor. 
Underneath is a hollow in the damp earth where dog after dog have made their bed to listen as our footsteps drift from room to room above. This house is a hideous pastel apricot colour and it is one of those 60s or 70s DIY, I say fibro but I probably really mean asbestos shacks that I actually live in one that's quite similar so I'm sure that's been part of the connection with it but definitely no connection with this particular story. Helen, we could live here but it won't last forever. Despite what you say, someone will find out. I keep hearing sirens and feeling sweat prick my palms. We were only staying overnight to tell Annie Joyce about us leaving mum and moving to Brisbane. She cried, but she said it was the right thing to do. Is it right to keep her body in the chest freezer? She was cold and dusted with purple hue that morning. I sat for 15 minutes waiting for her to breathe. It wasn't our fault. The longer we stay here, the worse it becomes. This house is actually quite close to mine and my friend Pat has often said that my house is the crappiest house in our area but I would beg to differ and I would say that this is definitely the crappiest house in our area. I mean it's basically an oversized cargo container and it is completely overgrown and it's rusting and really dilapidated. So, yeah, I would put it up there as number one worst house. Helen, we could live here forever and ever. I never want to leave your body. It calls my hands and mouth while my mind dances with expectation of your return touch. We've barely unpacked anything because I keep manipulating us back to the nest of blankets and pillows on the mattress. Sometimes you go out for food or some other trifle that I find infuriating. I can't leave this house yet. I'm too possessive of our first space together. We shed 400,000 skin cells every day. I want to coat this house in a fine film of us before stepping across the threshold again. So this house is tiny. Like it can only be one room and a kitchen and probably a bathroom out the back. And it's on this sprawling block of land which has this overgrown banana plantation which I have no idea what a banana plantation is doing in our neck of the woods but it's there and sadly the house itself is condemned now so potentially by the time you're listening to this the house may no longer be there which is a sad thing because it is a really interesting little snippet into someone's previous life. Helen, 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 Helen. Now, listen to me. What I said was... Ah, fuck. I spilled the fucking wine. Stop it. No, 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 no. Stop it. I'll clean it up. It's not important, Helen. Shh. It's not important, okay? Now, Helen. Just... No, no, but just... Just... Just listen, Helen. Helen. Sweetheart, darling soul, Helen, we could live here. This house itself, you know, is is quite a nice house. It has a central staircase with kind of wings leading up to it, which I usually like in a place, but it has this hideous kind of cream beige exterior with this 
forest green that's just so 90s and reminds me of so many suburban homes that I would visit as a kid and feel that suffocating, you know, nuclear family, but suburban weirdness that just didn't fit with me as well as a kid. Helen, we could live here for so much longer, day after day, unendingly the same, suffocating with the normalcy of our mundane cycle of existence. No matter how tight my throat becomes as screams of frustration build or how much my chest compresses with anxiety, this is it. This is my life. This is our life. At night, you emit a soft, low, half-snore. Like everything you do, it's not enough to justify outrage or disturbance, but it goes on and on and on until I think death is preferable to another moment of tiny irritation. But eternal sleep never comes, and here is a new day. Your eyes open to meet mine, so content, so unaware, I stare back, wondering, did you ever really see me? Next up is Dr. Pat Grant. He's going to hate that. Yeah, that's very good to say it. With this short story he did for a surf magazine called Vanished Coast, which is a story about landscape, but it's also a story about how landscape changes through development and gentrification. There are observational drawings of houses and landscapes from Thoreau and down the coast. And then he has these beautiful, really colorful ink washes over them and oranges and pinks. But also the piece, like something I love about Pat's work is that it has this wonderful combination of spontaneity and clever design. And that is very present in this story. All the way through, you're guided by white space as well as the drawing, as well as the text in various ways. You're talking about the way his art kind of guides your eye through the story, about how you focus on the next thing, followed by the next thing, followed by the next thing. Most comics read top to bottom, left to right. And this one does too, but it also kind of wanders over the page. And it's very hard to get that to work properly if you're breaking those rules. He does it really successfully. Pat's story also comes with language warning. So I like to draw. And all my life I've liked to draw these fantasy landscapes. When I was really little, it was mountains and forests and rushing rivers. And when I was a teenager, it was the ocean. I like to draw pictures of perfect breaking waves. I used to spend hours with my sketchbook, looking out at the water, trying to memorise this perfect moment, like a microsecond where everything was in place. And then I would make drawings. And the whole point of the drawing was to capture this moment before the water warped and it was lost forever. So I'm an old dude now and things are a bit different. (laughs) Sure, I mean, I still go check the surf every day. But when I check the surf, I've got something else on my mind. I mean, like, I see the waves, but I spend more time looking at buildings, like the old shoe shop in the main street, or this old shack on Kennedy's Hill that's wonky and looks like it's sliding down the hill. There's this style of building that used to be really common where I live on the Cold Coast. You know, there's, like, roofs made of corrugated iron, and the walls all seem to be made of these really tiny asbestos panels or, like, cheap red bricks. And from what I can tell, these places are homes for like unskilled workers or people who couldn't find work or people who, you know, just wanted to work a little bit so they could write or draw or surf or paint or smoke cones or whatever. And my house is one of these houses. 
I'm, I'm going to call it the second or the third shittiest house on, on the street. And one day the guy who built it just turned up at the front door. He wanted to check the place out. He told me that back in the day he was a Port Campbell steel worker. His only skill was that he could fix cars. He acquired the land upon which my house is built by swapping it for this old car he'd fixed up in his driveway. So my friends Chris and Mary live in the house up the road. Mary's the one that told you the story before. Do you think they'll be pissed if I say that their house is probably the shittiest house on the street? Or maybe it is, I don't know, there's this other one. Uh, let's just say, let's just say it's, it's, it's one of the shittiest houses on the street too. And when Chris and Mary and I hang out, we peel at the labels of our long necks. And we keep coming back to this thing that we just can't believe how lucky we are. Because people like us, you know, artists, writers, dirtbags, weirdos, I don't know. People like us can't buy houses in this street anymore. And we were the last ones to get in before the gate shut. There's a spot that I really love when I'm checking the surf. It's just by the car park at Macaulay's Beach. And if you stand in just the right spot, you can see the waves breaking over the top of this old wooden fence. And in the foreground, there's this old hills hoist that's so crusted in salt that it looks like it probably doesn't turn anymore. And this beautiful windswept Melaleuca trees. And so this is my preferred view of the classic point break, even though you can't really tell if the waves are any good. This place is famous for heavy locals. The old boys out at the point, they can still get pretty prickly. And a lot of them grew up here. And when they grew up here, this was a really rough part of town. And that's why I like looking out over that fence. Because when you're looking at the break from that angle, it feels like you've gone back in time. And you're looking at, at, at their childhoods, you know, you're looking through their eyes. But you can't do that anymore. If you go down there now, you know, there'll be a Range Rover in the driveway and this huge house. And the old fence is gone and the hill's hoist is gone. Because that's how it goes, right? Interest rates are low. Prices are high. The churn escalates. That's how we do it in Australia. So the old houses that I love, some of them have been here for a hundred years if you're lucky. And of course, the Wody Wody have lived here for thousands of years. And some of my favourite buildings were built by them. There's this place called the Karaji Aboriginal Tem Embassy with all of these beautiful handmade buildings that are made out of scrap iron and clay and geodesic domes. I love it. I love that it's there. But a lot of the people that live really close by really hate that it's there. They say that the Aboriginal Ten Embassy affects the value of their land. And every now and then, someone tries to burn it down. And they keep poisoning the trees. There was an old bowling club near our place. They sold cheap beer and terrible food. And we used to walk across the green to get to the beach when we were going surfing. You could smell the deep fry all down the street. But the club went bust and they sold the land off in an instant and it was fenced off. And then they built these houses there and the houses are so big and they're just so close together and they cast these long shadows and it's, it's, it's like they're crowding out history. This weird thing happens when I walk by, walk to the beach the long way it's like my memories of the place are harder to access than they used to be. My favourite pub stood on a headland 
right above a different break that I check all the time. One day the pub was there, and then the next day the pub wasn't there, and then the next day there was just this giant hole in the ground. And now what they've done is they've just filled the hole with rich people. So I'm writing this essay and drawing all these old buildings on a hot weekend in December. And it's just occurred to me that it's 10 years to the day since the Cronulla riot. Another thing that I've kind of been interested in. When that happened, everyone on the coast was wringing their hands and trying to figure out who was welcome on the beach and who wasn't. We talked about it as a race thing, but I, I, I really wonder, wasn't it also a class thing? Hopefully we've learned a thing or two since then. But yeah, I don't know. Have we? The truth is that not everyone is welcome on the coast, and they never were. And, you know, it might be just me, but I don't think it is. But it seems as though each time I leave the house and I drive down the street and another one of those old buildings is gone, the more the place that I live feels like this gross, gated community. So I still draw fantasy landscapes. A while back, I, I, I had this job drawing breaking waves for surfing magazines. And, you know, surfing magazines are full of fantasy landscapes. Images of perfect breaking waves. But these images, they're kind of a lie. These are images that refuse to acknowledge that there are moments before and that there are moments after, and these are moments when things are less than perfect. And I'm not really interested in drawing breaking waves anymore, but I'm still interested in telling lies when I draw. I'm still interested in my own weird fantasy landscapes. And for now, my fantasy landscape is this. It's the place where I live, but it's the coast that is vanishing. I make drawings of all these old places with the corrugated iron and the asbestos panels and the red bricks, and I draw them while they're still standing because I know that they're not going to be standing for long. And on either side of these buildings, there are these, you know, cubes of glass and rendered concrete that just seemed like they appeared yesterday. And in my fantasy landscape, I, I don't draw them. The new buildings, they get edited out. I remember his story. I remember that really well now. What struck me about hearing it a second time, hearing this recording, was that the voice is still so clear, but it's not a rant anymore. It's actually like a pretty sorrowful yeah. reflection on landscape and change and loss. And seeing it live, it was really berating against that change. The saddest part is how quickly people are trying to give away the thing that he wants to reclaim. Seeing the pictures with the story, yeah, you get to see those landscapes that he wants back a little bit. And then you also get to see what it's becoming. So if people want to see more of Read to Me, and in the coming year you're more or less moving properly to Sydney and running Read to Me every month or two out of Knox Street Bar? Yep, that's the plan. Late. January we start and we'll be every two months. We haven't got the day locked down, but we'll be doing a bi-monthly live storytelling event. Where should people go to look for details? You can come to our website, readtome.net.au. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, if you just search for Read To Me in those. And if people are interested in getting involved, reading their own stories? I would say definitely email us. 
we're fairly new to this, though things are moving pretty quickly, and we definitely plan to stick around. Ultimately, I think we want to open it up to more of experimental submission-based platform, at least for a number of them, because it is meant to be fun, it is meant to be yeah. for anyone who wants a voice included. But we've got to figure out how that's going to work, because it is a live presentation. But I would say, if people want to get involved, definitely email us. Through the website. We'll include links to Read to Me and to Mary and to Pat's work on the show page and at fbiradio.com slash or it didn't happen, no punctuation. You can listen to other FBI podcasts at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. This was the last episode in this season of Or It Didn't Happen. Next week, in the same time slot, 10.30am, Saturday, we're going to bring you a repeat of the Not What You Think episode all about comics. It features interviews with Marcelo Baez and Matt Huynh, making it big and making it small in comics.